Hello and welcome back to The Real Pulpit. I'm your host, Graham Pirro, and today we're doing something a little bit different from previous episodes. I'm joined by the executive culture editor of The Voice, none other than Mike Bergen. Mike, how are you? Doing good. How are you, Graham? I'm, I'm good, and I'm ready to get some hot takes out there. Ooh, let's do it. Because we just saw Star Wars The Last Jedi at a screening. We're recording this, I think, two days before it gets released across the nation. Yeah. So there will be a lot of spoilers, but you're going to get our completely unadulterated takes on the movie without any sort of time to sort of process them. We're going to just dive right in. Not much of a structure to this episode. Nope. Lay it on out there. Yeah, absolutely. And there will be spoilers, so please see The Last Jedi uh, before you listen to this episode. So let's just dive right in. Your general thoughts. What did you think about the movie? I would call it better than The Force Awakens to me. Um, I think it's kind of stands on its own as its own film a lot better without playing too much on the nostalgia of A New Hope, which we all know was pretty much the driving factor of Force Awakens. But other than that, um, I have some qualms with like things that are minor details, but overall, pretty happy with it as a film. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm basically with you on that, and I'm someone who really, really liked The Force Awakens. Uh, saw it a bunch of times in theaters, enjoyed it, didn't have too much of an issue with the fact that it played so much off of the story of A New Hope. But... I think that this movie was interesting because initially it seemed like kind of a carbon copy of Empire again, but it really went away from that, and I was happy about it. But then some of the things that it did, I wasn't too crazy yeah, about. It's a little Disneyified. I will. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. So just start. Let's talk about the sort of the first act of the film, which is uh, the moment the film opens. The resistance is in this the middle of this frantic retreat. They're evacuating the base, and the first order is coming in to try to destroy them once and for all. And you get this basically this huge action scene that, to be completely honest, didn't really work for me. Yeah, it it was mostly based in space as opposed to. I mean, at this point, we could call it a copy of Empire, um, in that it was it's the same premise that they're all escaping their main base. Uh, it was Hoth, and now it's Miscellaneous Planet that I, I don't remember can't recall. Name, but, but that's yeah. okay. But, I mean, most of it, it's like the first 30 seconds is them, and then they're in the air trying to go in to destroy this vessel. And it's suspenseful but very predictable. It seems like low stakes overall. That Like, you could guess what's going to happen based off of the minimal to, like, maximal loss of each character that they could, both sides could afford it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it just wasn't – it was vis- visually cool because it's a very intricate s- space battle scene. But, I mean, the results are fairly predictable. Yeah, I – so the whole introduction, I think it was called the Dreadnought, like that huge, yeah. gigantic like, ship. A bigger and, Star Destroyer. Yeah, that was – that's what's kind of annoying about Star Wars is it's just like, hey, let's just introduce something that was bigger. Yeah. And then <laughs> that means that it's more serious. It's like the Death Star but a planet. Yeah, like that uh, That was the moment I was like, all right, is this movie about to completely go off the rails? Um And then you have this whole sequence where Poe Dameron is flying the X-Wing through and destroying all the cannons. And all the whole time, I was just thinking, how does one – like, I know Poe is a good pilot, and that's been established, but one guy takes out the entirety of the ship's defenses to set it up for this bombers, and then, of course, all the bombers blow up except one, and then one delivers the payload and destroys the whole ship, which I guess meant, like, that was the only needed one ship to do that? Why'd you have all those bombers then? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just the, – the opening scene, it seemed – really easy and they tried to play up the drama a lot with like that slow motion of the detonator falling it just didn't work for me yeah it was definitely built on a lot of cliches of the almost of a hero doing it and 
yeah, I, just sacrificing a character you don't have any attachment to. It was obvious. Like, everything from the second it started was clearly this is going to go wrong slightly and then just happen and set up some other action. It, w- it was it was kind of cheap. It was cool looking. I mean, just in terms of just plain action movie. But, yeah, I wasn't – I had I definitely had my doubts um, going into that first act. And um, I my interest sparked up after the second. Yeah, and then to sort of – sort of top off the opening set piece, you then have the resistance jump to light speed and then they arrive in a new, presumably a new part of the galaxy. And then the first order is right behind them because apparently the first order has figured out a way to track them through light speed. And you have, I'm not sure if it's, if it happens after they jump to light speed or beforehand, but when Leia gets blown out of the bridge after. and she's, that's a, okay. So she's floating through space and then you have this like genuinely weird sequence where she like flies through space back to the ship yeah. using the force and i don't know about you but sitting in the theater i was kind of like looking around like is this is this a joke like is this the movie that we're, we're going to be seeing for the next yeah she hour, looked like she did look like glenda the good witch honestly it was she seems there's a scene of her floating in space presumably dead i thought it was a like a tribute to like the beauty of carrie fisher i it seemed like that was the last moment she was going to be on screen then her eyes pop open, and she's somehow flying through space in just, like, nonsense, like, what's her name? Um, I forget. Uh, I'm trying to make the reference to the, the Flying Nun. She honestly looks like the Flying Nun to me, and, uh, yeah, it, and then it just goes into this sequence of her in a coma, and how could we care about that? But I'm more interested in, um, in the I guess, the Luke and uh, Ray sequence that jumps to after this. Yeah, yeah. Uh- I think most of our issues with the film come from the resistance fleeing the First Order storyline. But once you get to the Ray and Luke stuff, I think that's where the film's really at mm. its best. So the first moment we get with Luke and Ray picks up, like, literally, they show the final shot of The Force Awakens when Ray hands Luke the lightsaber, and then it picks up immediately afterwards, and Luke throws the lightsaber over his shoulder, which I thought, at first, I thought it was kind of like, oh, that's kind of a, not not tasteless, but kind of like a joke on the fans because we've thought so much about it since The Force Awakens came mm-hmm. out. But the way that they play the relationship where Luke is this very reluctant mentor and someone who clearly is extremely stricken with guilt and he's kind of rejecting the whole idea of being a hero or like the great man theory. Uh, and then you have Ray who's trying to bring him out of retirement and like bring him back to save the galaxy. I really thought that they did a, a great job of showing that and showing the conflict within both of those characters for the entirety of their storyline. Sure. I don't want to reduce your comment. I want to comment on like just one aspect of that first, him throwing the lightsaber over the shoulder. I want to say this film really does have its own comedic voice in a pretty unique way that we see in the first half an hour, 45 minutes or so. It is a long film. It's two and a half hours. But even going back to Poe on the uh, going on the attack there, there's like a funny sequence of him going back and forth with uh, – With Hux. With Hux, yeah. with Admiral Hux. And he's going. Who, okay. By the way, I just have to get sure, it. sure. He is a horrible character. He, I just want to throw he that is out. He's filled there. with like cheap, vague Nazi lines. Yeah, I can get into that, but you, you. Continue. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I mean, he's Hux is definitely just like filled with "we will smite you" lines, just like these cheap, cheap evil. Like it's just not really at doing much. I think they reduce him down. He's a good actor. He's playing it as best he can, Dom Hall Gleason, but. At the same time, there's only so much you could do with it. But on top of that, just this humor, it's very, I guess, more, like, quick and witty than we've seen as opposed to, like, 
hitting one-liners fading off from the old Star Wars franchise. There's like a funny thing where he thinks he's on hold and it's it's more or less like really engaging with the audience and giving you time to laugh as opposed to old stuff. Uh, but yeah, going on he th- uh, back to Luke and Leia, there's a lot of that there, almost like the slapstick of you keep thinking you're going to see like that Dagobah sequence of like, I guess Luke's going to be riding on Ray's back. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's funny that you like, I keep waiting for it. I keep anticipating it. And I think they go a little bit more, one, they go a little bit more literal into the concepts of the force, but also there's a lot of funny stuff in just these little sequences of her trying to teach herself the force in the presence of Luke. And it's just, it's a little embarrassing for her. And it's, it's kind of just like funny, like almost borderline slapsticky kind of stuff in like situational humor. I would say it's definitely endearing. And I think that that's something that this film builds really well upon from the force awakens that the force awakens has these moments throughout these sort of side scenes. Like the one that immediately comes to mind is when Chewie is at the resistance, the resistance base and he's getting his arm healed by the nurse and the nurse is like, Oh wow, you must've been such a hero, like very sarcastically. And it it's funny and it doesn't really add anything to the plot, but it's sort of these side moments that really make you love the characters. And I felt like there were a ton of that. There was a ton of that on uh, Octo when uh, Luke and Ray are Ray's training and trying to figure her stuff out on her own. And then she's talking with Kylo Ren. And then you have that moment where she shoots her blaster through the hut. And then the uh, the nuns come up. I think they're nuns. Or the they look enough like nuns that I'll call them nuns. Yeah, we'll, we'll call them nuns for the sake of simplicity. Uh, and they, they come up and they start fixing it. And it, it just it's like one of those weird moments that adds flavor and character to the world that I really liked. Um, but before... We keep going on Luke and Ray. You may, you raised the point about the First Order, and I want to go off on a bit of a tangent here because I think that one of my biggest issues with this movie is the that the First Order is just not – they're not good villains. And I think the reason for that is Hux is such a badly conceived character. In the original trilogy, the Empire worked because all of the underlings in the Empire – you knew two things about them. You knew, one, they were evil, and two, they were afraid of Darth Vader. And the movies committed to that. They really played that. Even in A New Hope, you cast a legendary actor like Peter Cushing to play Grand Moff Tarkin, who could have just been a bit part. But Cushing brings such a presence with him. And then in the subsequent sequels, yeah, the it's kind of played off as... Now it's looked at as a joke because Vader's like killing off all of his admirals and generals when they do poorly. But they really commit to the fact that they're evil and they're trying to do evil. And in this movie, Hux just keeps on being the butt of the joke and it just doesn't work because it doesn't give the First Order any real gravitas. And that's something that really annoyed me throughout is Hux is consistently the punchline and I just did not take the First Order seriously at all. Which is probably, honestly, might be my biggest issue with this whole movie. I think that's fair. Yeah, I'm kind of glad you said that. I, uh, I think I was having trouble putting my finger on it. But yeah, I mean, you just don't... They just look at, like, we're a large group of people with a lot of money and therefore a lot of weapons as opposed to something with a unified mission. And, yeah, it's it's a little, like, disheartening to see that you don't... I guess there's not a consistent villain as opposed to you know why they need to win or why they need to escape. And you kind of see the futility of their task. It just seems kind of foolish after a certain point of why we're avoiding these slapstick villains uh, yeah, and on top of that, it's just hard to really place the whole, I guess the purpose, you know, I think you're still trying to shake. Yeah, like, what the is old... their, what exactly is their motivation? You mm-hmm. still are not 100% sure. Yeah. And you have all these moments where they almost catch the resistance, but, you know, the resistance, the resistance just gets away. Yeah. And it just undermines their credibility. I guess on top of that, um, I think the meaning of these films is a hard thing. And I, I don't mean to go on a big, broad philosophical tangent here, but... 
I guess you're trying to think of what is the purpose of the resistance as well. I, the scene, the whole movie is really based around maybe what's supposed to be two or three days where uh, they're in this kind of long, like, it seems like hopeless, like fleeing away from the resist. Uh, it's only a matter of basically it's only a matter of time until they're going to be destroyed. It's like literally hours. Until yeah. It's like destroyed. the film starts with a clock. We have X amount of hours until we're all going to die. Let's all split off as best we can and try to fix this and come back. And so it's a short term, but at that point, it's you wonder what's the point of the resistance if there are only a couple hundred people? Like, how are they an effective weapon? And how is the order, if they're devoting every last resource they have to killing these 400 people, how are they effective villains? So I guess it's, it's hard on such reducing what's supposed to be the value of an entire universe down to these handfuls of people chasing each other in a know-nothing area, why do we think this is important? And I think that that's a problem that actually goes back to The Force Awakens because certainly one of the flaws of The Force Awakens is you never really get a feel for how the Resistance relates to the Republic. And how the First Order... Like, it says the First Order rose from the ashes of the Empire, but you don't really get any information beyond that. And then... The First Order destroys the Republic, and that's supposed to be, like, this big moment, but you don't really know what the Republic's, like, the, is, it must be a new Republic because it rose after the Empire, but you're just not 100% sure, and then there's some lip service in The Last Jedi paid to the fact that without the Republic fleet, like, the Resistance is going to be destroyed, but you never saw, as far as I know, you never see the Republic fleet in a, The Force Awakens. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot, it's kind of confused, I think, which becomes an issue because it undermines some of the... Like, it undermines the like the threat that the Resistance is facing and the motivation of the First yeah. Order. I suppose there's just no real context to why we consider these two groups important. As if, if we're trying to reinvent them, we need to see why they matter, or otherwise we should just call them the same. Yeah, and you also have that, I, I don't know, I thought it was kind of ridiculous, the, like, the slow chase where the First Order needs to wait until the Resistance ship can run out of fuel so they can destroy them. Like... This seems kind of minor, but why doesn't the First Order just, like, send a fighter around and shoot the Resistance ship from the front? Or hey, send Kylo Ren in again? There's like, no support. You know that. <laughs> except their plot devices. You know what? Fine. I'll take... At the time, I was like, all right, this is convoluted yeah. and stupid, but I'll accept it. Looking back, I, I maintain that this is... This and the whole Kanto bite sequence at the casino, which we'll, we'll get to, yeah. I think are unquestionably the weakest parts of the movie. And then, because we got way off topic, we originally talked about Luke and Rey, the strongest parts of the movie, I think, come from Luke and Rey and then Rey's relationship to Kylo Ren, which I think is really, really well done. I agree. I would like to see more of it, honestly, in, like, in different ways. Uh, I definitely... Maybe you know what? Maybe I'm I'm interested in going into the distractions because I think we've established that like the training sequences and the value of the Luke Ray relationship. I want to talk about the Finn Rose relationship a little bit. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, the two of them. I don't know. I like them both as characters. I think they are fun and interesting, and they're part of this universe now. And there's regardless of what you do about that, I felt a little just cheated by what they were doing at the end. I mean, their plot is a closed loop, really. Their plot is a closed loop, and even at the very end, it means nothing. It's they work hard. It it seems like halfway through they've already given up by not achieving their task, and then at the end, it means it means nothing uh, because their plot was just merely a diversion that they like no one seemed to ask about, and then 
it didn't even pan out in the in the end. If you think about it, their whole storyline gets boiled down to the fact that they recruit Benicio del Toro's character, his name I can't remember, so I will refer to him That's as Benicio del Toro. Very fair. Who betrays them and sells them out and I guess knew this is something I have to see when I watch the movie again, but he somehow knows that the resistance is planning the sneak escape and he tells the first order and then they attack the transports. But that's literally the whole point of their storyline. And so you have basically like this 30 to 45 minute side subplot where they go to Kanto Bite and it's this really lavishly designed casino. And then it also introduces this weird sort of message about animal cruelty, which I thought was completely out of place for a Star Wars movie. And it just felt kind of like cheap moralizing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you were saying, I like the characters. I just think they're sold very short by what they have to do because – what they have to do takes so much time in what is a very long movie, and it has pretty much no significance because by the time they get the hacker, then they come back and they are at the door to get into the tracker to break it, which is the whole point. The first order shows up and captures them. Yeah. And then Benicio del Toro sells them out. You have the, the Finn versus Phasma fight, and then they leave. So that's literally the – and uh, like we get into the conclusion later, but that's literally the whole point of like a 45-minute subplot. Yeah. Is that payoff, which just doesn't work. I think Finn, you know, you could honestly edit, and I don't like this, but John Boyega's character Finn, he could be edited out of this entire film, and I don't think we would lose anything. It's just, And it's unfortunate, because I think he's a good character, and he's a funny character, and he's the hero we want to see win, but everything he does just felt like we were doing it for the sake of doing it. Uh, I'm saying he, they establish that he has this special mission with this engineer Rose on the ship. And the two of them have to – it's up to them to save the whole ship. And you believe that as an audience. And in the end, you almost feel like tricked or cheated because what they did means nothing because just it was just a sheer lack of communication that put them in, in like, danger. I Maybe I'll disagree that I think the point of the scene with animal cruelty is they're trying to show the, the cruelty to the children who are the trainers of them. But regardless, it was clearly – it just felt like a plot device. And, uh, yeah, I mean, at the end, it's just a bunch of moralizing to show that the universe is suffering. And in the end, I just don't know why. Even his fight with Phasma doesn't really make sense. What was the point of bringing Phasma back in this movie? She has probably just as much screen time in this movie that she does in The Force Awakens, and she's presumably yeah. killed off. I, I'm admittedly forgetting the actress's name here. Gwendoline Christie, I yes. believe is her name. Gwendoline Christie, um, who plays Brienne of Tarth on Game of Thrones, who's a popular, like, fairly famous actress now, and there's only a scene where they could just get a glimpse of her face to know it's her. But regardless, one, the odds of prob- improbability of her actually being there are low. Two, we've seen Finn's fighting competence. It's not there to do what he does. And it's just it just feels like moments that are trying to satisfy an audience that isn't interested. And it's a little it's just it's honestly just a little upsetting. I just don't know why we did it and I feel like I was losing out on the more valuable story. It felt like fan service. Um I think that they kind of received a lot of criticism for how little Captain Phasma is used in The Force Awakens and the fact that she kind of gets dispatched with very easily. And then they were under pressure to bring her back for this movie. But she's I think she's in one scene. And then admittedly, I did enjoy the showdown between her and Finn. But 
I thought that they were going to either keep her alive or introduce her earlier to have her do more. Because she seems like she's basically the Boba Fett of this trilogy. <laughs> she like, really is. Very cool-looking character. Gets nothing to do and gets dispatched of very, very easily. Um, but, again, I think... So we've been very negative so far yeah. about the movie. Like, undoubtedly very negative. And I feel like we're getting most of our complaints and gripes yeah. out early. I think... Let's preface that I think we both like this movie. And I know that doesn't seem like it from what we've said so far. But, yeah, let's talk about some of the positives. Yeah. So, back to the Luke and Ray stuff. <laughs> so, I think that one of my favorite aspects of this whole storyline is the moments when Ray is talking with Kylo Ren. Because you really get a sense of the parallels that Ryan Johnson, the writer and director, is drawing between Snoke and Ren and Ray and Luke. And those moments where Ray is going after Kylo for killing uh, Han, his father, and then Kylo's pushing back. And at a point, you seem like they're actually like getting close and they're sort of understanding each other. They're understanding that they both have this struggle between light and dark that's going on within them. It's just that Kylo's been exposed more than Ray has to the Force. And this has this, this whole plot has this awesome payoff when Rey is brought to Snoke and then Kylo kills Snoke and then there's that great fight scene when Rey and, and Kylo are fighting the Red Guards, mm -hmm. which is just fantastic. And I think that... Because that's what gets into sort of the moral ambiguity of the Force and the fact that even Luke says, like, maybe the Jedi aren't this all-good, you know, altruistic race. Maybe they need to die so that the universe can have peace finally and i think that if you look at star wars as a whole as the saga and you really analyze what the jedi do throughout they're really not a great race of warriors they're kind of religious they're, fanatics they're religious fanatics they're extremely unjust and they're incredibly arrogant and self like self-convinced of their own importance and yet they're responsible for the rise of the sith and basically the fall of the republic and Luke is like, I really like the moments when Luke is like, well, maybe the Jedi need to end because maybe they're not the heroes that we thought they were. <laughs> and that's like that stuff I love to see from Star Wars because I love when Star Wars gets away from the, you know, the black and white and gets into the shades of gray of the galaxy. Yeah. And I think that's some of the strongest storytelling that the, that the movie really does. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think that's the what we need. Honestly, I I think what The Force Awakens missing is context, and I think that's what everyone left with. It's like, who's raised parents? Who are all these things? How does this matter in relation to the old Star Wars? Where's the continuity besides you just playing off of what I think of the old Star Wars? And I'm saying you and I a lot, but I mean, I guess I mean the viewers, fan base, and Lucasfilm slash now Disney. But yeah, in general, I'm. that's what I'm curious about. I want to see... I think the I think in our era of story making we're dealing with a lot of moral choices just like how films get made is they play off of these ambiguous morals and I think Star Wars is fitting nicely right now into that um it was satisfying it was really satisfying to see off of like the very visual aspects of this on the island they are on and just like the literal high and low of the Sith and it was disturbing but challenging to go into like these Luke-esque sequences of like when he's on Dagobah in episode five, seeing how she deals with the dark side. And honestly, I found it more interesting with, I think if we compare like Luke having to face Darth Vader, kills him, realizes his self. If we compare that scene to what Ray did, I'm, I think Ray's is better in terms of she's just not satisfied and she's a little bit more determined in the light at this point and she makes the decision for herself, although she's still tempted by it. 
But yeah, on top of that, I think it plays just nicely into the forces, good and bad. I don't know what to do. And then dope lightsaber fight scene, dare I say. Great, yeah, yeah fantastic. I mean, it's just like it felt like I'd say that sequence felt like what a Star Wars film should be. It's a moral conflict between these people who have these skills that are important for the sake of the universe. And then it ends in like ultimate really important decisions and a lot of great action, which to me is the formula for a great Star Wars film. Very practical. The little quick beep of a lightsaber just to kill someone is a pretty cool thing that There's we all... There's some kick-ass action We're moments. all thinking about these stuff, and now they finally did it, and I'm very happy with that. Um, and honestly, I just think some of the other stuff made it get, made it sell short, honest, just because we wanted to see more of that and they tried to include everyone. Uh, but yeah, all in all, I have to agree with you, Cedric Brown. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad to hear that. I, I love it when people Anytime. agree with me on, on the podcast. Uh, I think that what really worked for me was the character arc of Kylo Ren because you see that he is still extremely conflicted. And the fact that – so Snoke, I think, as a character is not a good villain. You're not sure what his motivations are. He gets killed off pretty quickly, and he doesn't really do it. He sits on his throne, like tortures Ray briefly, and then gets killed. He doesn't really do much of anything. But – the moments when he's kind of mocking Kylo and he's he's trying to challenge Kylo, but then he reduces him. And then you sort of have this moment where Kylo has to make a decision between killing Rey and killing Snoke. And he decides to kill Snoke, but he doesn't do it because he's turning the light. He's doing it because he believes that he can become the new supreme leader and he can bring Rey over and they can end the conflict and rule the galaxy. And it's just sort of this moment that's very reminiscent of the end of Empire Strikes Back when Vader's trying to get Luke to come over to the Empire's side so they can rule the galaxy as father and son. And the film strives... I think the film it makes a very smart move by not having the relationship between Kylo and Rey be reduced to they're related to each other. I was really worried yeah. Kylo was going to like reach out his hand and be like, I'm your brother or something. Uh, but the film doesn't do that. Instead, just has Kylo try to attract Rey and try to basically tempt Rey to join him. And it's not clear that he's bringing her over the, the dark side. It's just they should work together to end the conflict. And they can rule the galaxy together. And I, I really like that because it's sort of this moral ambiguity. And then you also have Rey that needs to make the choice not to join Kylo. And that was the moment where I actually felt like uncertain. I didn't know what Rey was going to do. That was great because the rest of the movie I felt was so predictable that I love the fact that it actually dealt in some uncertainty. And you have these like these really great character moments that pay off both with a fantastic action scene and fantastic character interactions, but then when Rey and Kylo are both calling to the lightsaber as a visual metaphor that really worked is the them struggling over like the past and the history of the Force, and then you also just have the fact that Kylo keeps talking about like killing the past and destroying the past. Just, the movie just does a lot of I think kind of complex character work with these two, and I think it worked really well. And especially when contrasted to how sort of I don't want to say bad, but how underwhelming the whole Resistance storyline is. Yeah. I think that Kylo and Rey's... I think that's probably the best part of the movie. Yeah, I, the Resistance storyline to me is generated suspense. Like, they just created this situation that's dire, and it doesn't seem like it needed to be dire. And I feel like even the idea of tracking through light speed just seems kind of flimsy. And it just seems like they created this this situation just to create haste in the scene. But I, I, I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on the positives here. The, the Kylo and Rey relationship... I mean, who doesn't like characters that are interesting in that they're not absolutely good and absolutely evil 
I'm saying the Sith isn't necessarily just evil for the sake of being evil. Clearly, we see Kylo as a self-interested character. And not only that, he's a universally interested character, but he believes in himself as opposed to some entity. And I like that they're both young, they're both kind of reckless in that sense, but also it gives them some kind of clarity. I mean, these are two, if we consider them versus if we compare like the Jedi and Sith of old, I'm going really deep here, but like I'm saying they're not that experienced. They don't really know what they're doing. They're not that good at being what they're supposed to be. I wouldn't even, I'd call them high level Padawans at most, but these two, these are the last two options they have. So we have to consider them the experts and they see, they both want peace. They both have very different ideas of doing it. And I think that's just a much more interesting character. And they also think they should work together just for peace and then settle the ideas of good and light in the force. So they both have similar, they just have the same interests, but just like wrong mindsets. And I think that's a much more challenging character to accept because at times you want to accept Kylo. Kylo seems angry and he seems emotional, but if you could look past that, he seems like a peaceful character. Or at ones that he's at least well-intentioned and that he's trying to be accepted, right? Because his whole character arc for me at least is trying to uh, find acceptance from a father figure like you have. Hey, he is sent off by Han and Leia to train with Luke, and then Luke sort of fails him as a mentor. Mm-hmm. Or it isn't clear if Kylo fails Luke or if Luke fails Kylo. And I actually think that that's one of the most sort of controversial parts of the movie when Luke and Kylo keep recounting what happened the night that uh, Luke tried to kill Kylo. And it's not 100% clear what the story is by the end of it. You get a lot of conflicting uh, accounts of what happened. But you have this really interesting tension within Kylo where he kills Han Solo to commit himself to Snoke completely, but Snoke still doesn't accept him. And then Kylo also killed Snoke. And I'm sure there, you know, I think this is something I'll have to think about after I see the movie again, but there's definitely some sort of like father, I don't want to say like father issues, but like the theme of the fatherhood of Kylo, someone who's trying to guide him. And then by the end of the film, he's killed Snoke, Han, and then he's contributed at least to the disappearance or like the the evaporation <laughs> or like becoming one with the force of Luke. So three father figures for Kylo, each of which has failed him in a different way. And that's that's really good yeah. character work for two movies and a saga that's, you know, ostensibly a children's movie. It's true. Uh and I think that that is that is really Kylo Ren is probably my favorite thing about these these two movies so I agree. far. Yeah, and I think I think I'm just repeating myself here, but yeah, I mean, I think I don't want these these very valuable stories to be cheapened by, like, basically what seems like the plot of Speed Two Cruise Control. Like, honestly, it's just yeah, yeah. Oh, we should we should briefly talk about how bad that whole yeah. It's chase just it's is. just I think I we have a very important story here that's just used as a and we're using these very two. Like we're using the Finn, and we're using the um, the like Republic, I guess, uh, Resistance cruiser stories. These two stories are, just seem like cheap vehicles to get the rest of the what the plot that matters to go on. And then, then when we get these sequences of just these really valuable characters, and Adam Driver's a fantastic actor. I've watched, followed him through Girls and plenty of other things, and Patterson, but. Just seeing these really strong stories and these ambiguities of good and evil, and then we have this other thing here. I just don't know what to make of it sometimes, and uh, I think that's what frustrated me about this film. And I wanna, 
I should say I want to call them visually beautiful, at least to give them that. Um, we'll talk about that probably in a minute here. But yeah, overall, there's just these really important stories that I'm still aching at, but it seems like the film is more interested in these broad ideas of uh, resistance beating over the First Order as opposed to these very ambiguous good and evil stories. And that's what uh, I think that's what in audiences should be more interested in and they probably are more interested in. And then I think that, that the film really hits its peak when the storylines converge and you have the resistance evacuating to create the salt mm -hmm. planet and all the storylines like Luke and at least Luke joins them via force ghost, which is a twist that I think we can sort of talk about. I'm not still not sure how I feel about that reveal. Uh, but you have Ray and Ray doesn't really participate in the final battle, but pretty much Kylo faces off and he sees Luke and then uh, Finn and Poe are charging at them in the, the speeders and like you were saying, it's first off, it's a great visual, the the red salt oh, coming yeah. up as the speeders go across. And it's a really exciting battle, but it's also character-driven, which I think is really well done. Like, you have the face-off between Kylo and Luke. It's it's kind of a tease in a way because they don't have the big lightsaber fight you're expecting. And then it's revealed that Luke is a Force ghost um, and he's actually elsewhere. He's still on Octo. Um, but it's still, it's a character driven finale that feels epic and it feels important and it feels like there are stakes. Like I wasn't sure if Finn was actually going to die when he does his suicide run at the, the big, uh, I don't know what to call it. I've been referring to it as Grand, like from Lord of the Rings, <laughs> because I don't know what to, I, I forget what exactly the name for the big gun that's supposed to destroy Battering cannon or something, something like that. Ridiculous. It's yeah, basically a thing that could break down the big door that's keeping everyone safe. Yeah, it's like the, the plot device that yeah. is, is uh, threatening everyone. And I thought that the last half hour of this movie is genuinely fantastic. Oh, yeah. And the last half an hour of this film is just really visually beautiful. Um, I think they play off color a lot, and like like you were saying about the salt flats there, just these reds, and I guess the red and white, you kind of see the thematic colors of this film uh, going off, but yeah, it's just, and especially when like Luke is about to fight, and I really wanted a satisfying lightsaber scene, but I was okay with being deceived a little bit, it was honestly a good plot twist to me. But just seeing, like, the spattering red of just all over the ground and just, like, it's ugly. And it's intentionally ugly. It's really cool. Um, yeah, they, I guess, now that we're in 2017 world of films, we have a lot more money to play off of space scenes and things like that. There's just really, like, beautiful sequences. There's the arch and, like, dramatic red behind Snoke in his chambers on the ship. And it looks cool. It's just, like, such a like off-putting red it's just like almost hurts your eyes of just how like bold it is and that and then there's another sequence that i don't want to spoil too much because i think we've given so much away here of just a hyperspeed launch that yeah that's that's all i'm gonna say you'll you'll know it when you see it and it's amazing it's a cool uh, imagining of of how yeah. to use something that we've seen a lot in Star Wars as like an offensive weapon. And yeah, it works. Speaking of the new trilogy in general, I think we give a lot. They just answer a lot of those very tiny physics questions that we're all curious about, and I'm very happy with that. I think those answers I'm I'm very happy with. But yeah, uh, just to recap that very visually gorgeous film, but I really just value that uh, Kylo, Ray, Luke, Snoke dynamic as opposed to the rest of it and i think that one of the probably the most visually striking moment for me is when luke is leaving the cave to go i don't know the cave like the hangar yeah. area to go face kylo and 
it's right after the door has been somewhat destroyed and like the big fight has already happened so there're flames coming out and it's just his silhouette walking out it's it's an absolutely gorgeous shot and when i saw it i was just like i want that wall, like i want that screensaver oh, yeah. i want that wallpaper uh it's yeah. it, this is a beautifully shot film ryan yeah. johnson does a really really good job with uh the variety and just the just kind of filling every shot sort of with a different type of visual yeah. splendor I should say this this film, these are probably going to be my last remarks here because I've been going off on my tangents, but I think this one felt like tribute more as, as opposed to trying to play off my nostalgia. I think the Luke versus Kylo sequence has just those vague, vague elements of the Kenobi's uh, Dar- like Darth Vader fight of the strike me down and I will become more powerful than yes, exactly. You could possibly imagine. Uh, not that for, I've seen, you know, seen <laughs> not these that Graham has seen it times. before. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, just, you just get that feeling and it's almost, it's just like touched on and evoked. And it's just enough that you think you have it in the back of your mind without them pointing it to you. And yeah, that the Dagobah sequence, uh, the Dagobah versus, could you refill? Octo. Excuse me, the Dagobah versus Octo. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm, I'm going to accept it. Yeah. Uh, the Dagobah versus Octo sequences. You just get these touches that you're like, oh, it's so vaguely reminiscent, but I know it's just honoring these things, but it, becoming its own thing in and of itself, but aware of what it's doing because it's going to have to follow these natural sequences. And it's just, I, I am very satisfied with that. I have, that's why I think I like this film and I can accept its flaws. Yeah, I think by the time the movie ended, I was really satisfied. But now that I think thinking about it more, the first hour to an hour and a half definitely has problems that we've touched on a lot. But overall, I still really like I like the movie. I will mm-hmm. definitely say that it was an interesting expansion of the Star Wars mythos. And I think that these characters really, really work. These new characters specifically like Ray and Kylo, I think, are fantastic, fantastic characters. Uh, and I'm excited to see episode nine. I'm excited to see where the trilogy is going to go. Um, one last thing before we sign off, because I feel like we need to talk about her performance. What did you think of Carrie Fisher in the movie? She doesn't really get a ton to do, yeah, which is a little disappointing. You but- know, th- this is my own research on this. I just feel like I'm not sure at what point in the filming process she unfortunately passed away. And I think I'm always I'm kind of looking for the point. I was always looking for the points of the film where it seemed like she was edited around or cutted or excuse me, cutted. Uh, excuse me, she was cut just to have her in the film while she very clearly was no longer participating in the production process. And we don't get that. I think she has leadership roles. You definitely. It's just it does feel a little choppy. It just feels like I know she was put in at the perfect moments. And the film was probably rewritten in a way just to see her point in her fourth sequence definitely feels like it was set up for the the third installment. That's now not going to happen. Yeah. I, sorry. No, no. um, Yeah. Just, just, just to end that. Yeah. Just, I just, I'm aware. And I think that her character could have very easily died at a point of the film. And then the plot could have been central uh, around Mark Hamill into the third and yet they opted not to do that, and I think it's going to set up some problems for the next film. So from what I've read about the production, it seemed as if she had finished all of her scenes. 
Um, and I don't think, yeah, like you were saying, and I know we spoke about this before the show. I don't really think you, there's a moment where you're like, oh my God, they must have reshot that scene. Like the way when you saw like Justice League, it was abundantly clear what scenes were reshot with Superman because of Henry Cavill's ridiculous mustache. And the uh, creative team behind Lucasfilm has come out and said that they're not going to CG Carrie Fisher like they did Peter Cushing for Grand Moff Tarkin for Rogue One, which I maintain is probably the worst part of that movie because his face he has dead eyes and his face looks really creepy just a <laughs> side note uh Good but i think that the one yeah i think that that's going to affect episode nine because apparently now that colin trevaro is no longer directing it they brought jj abrams back and they're rewriting the script because i think that what they the idea that they had in mind was the force Awakens was going to be han's movie the last jedi was going to be luke's movie and then episode nine was going to be carrie fisher or leia's movie uh and now that she has obviously passed away, that those plans have kind of been thrown up in the air. The one scene, I know that we spoke about this earlier um, before the show, but the one scene that I thought may have been recut was when Luke and Leia reunited. Yep. Because it just felt, the way that it was edited make it made it felt like they were shot at two separate times and then composited together. I'm interested to see when the movies come out and people are talking about it and the, you know, like Ryan Johnson comes out and talks about it. If that scene was actually put in after the fact, after she had passed away. Um, I just kind of, yeah, I guess there's nothing, you can't really blame the filmmakers because they couldn't have known that she was going to pass away. Uh, I just kind of wish that Leia had had more to do because she is in a coma for a good portion of the movie, but the ending when she's talking to Ray and then you have sort of that group shot of the whole resistance together. That was really heartwarming and touching and I think episode nine is really we're going to have to see that how they deal with her with her death. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's just a, a bunch of moments in this film. Granted, I am biased by the fact that I know she has passed away outside of the Star Wars universe, but I just feel like I'm aware of moments that I should be looking out for a tribute to her. And I think there's a moment where she gets sucked out into space and she's just like kind of frozen in crystal and she definitely looks younger than herself and she it see it just felt like a moment where they're trying to show her almost dazzling as this like beauty and like this legend of the Star Wars universe and of course there's the end sequence with her and Mark Hamill where he kisses her on the head and it's the last time we the first and last time in the new franchise where we see Luke and Leia together as brother and sister and it's it's valuable and I'm I think I'm always just looking for what happened to Leia and I'm saying goodbye to Gary Fisher. So, granted, it's an audience bias, but, yeah, I, I'm a little worried about the next film for that, and I miss Carrie Fisher. Yeah, and I think that's a nice note to end on because Carrie Fisher was such a giant, and, you know, it's you know it was tough to see her go. Princess Leia's a great character, mm-hmm. and I'm very intrigued to see how J.J. Abrams handles uh, giving her a nice tribute in episode nine. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess sort of for a verdict, I don't know. I don't know if we can give it like a, a real verdict because we're clearly conflicted about the movie. Absolutely. Much like Kylo and Ray, we're very <laughs> conflicted internally about the movie. But I'm going to see it again. I'm excited to see it again. I think I'm going to have to see it again I as well. I think that what this movie does that The Force, Awakens did, the Force Awakens didn't was walking out, I felt like The Force Awakens played it pretty safe. And this movie took a lot of risks. And I respect that about it. But I can't say for sure if I liked it better than The Force Awakens. Definitely liked it more than Rogue One, though. Yeah, I have not seen Rogue One, admittedly. I know, scandal here. But uh, I'm going to call it at least... I mean, I think it was... If I could objectively look them at them as two films, I do like this better than The Force Awakens. Fair. If I could, If I could let go of my own nostalgia 
I would say I like this form, film better because it is a risk taker and it's its own independent entity. And I respect that they're trying to create a Star Wars for 2017 that doesn't have to predicate on the 1970s versions. So I respect them a lot for that. They took some risks. Not all of them paid off. But on the whole, good film. Yeah, definitely excited to see it again. And I will say, you still miss Harrison Ford, though. Oh, absolutely. Han Solo is such a great presence. Mm-hmm. And I think he really makes The Force Awakens a great movie. Um, so, yeah, that's it from us. Uh, yep. Hopefully you've seen Star Wars by the time you're listening to this. Really uh, if not, go see it. I mean, you, you will regardless. We could have come on here and said it's the worst movie ever, and you still will go see it. It's still going to make three no it's not gonna make it maybe two billion dollars probably 1.5 billion dollars at the worldwide box office um so thank you for listening uh you can listen to the rest of the voice podcast on the voice podcast network we're available on stitcher google play and itunes uh you can follow the voice on twitter at gtown voice you can follow me on twitter at graham underscore piro i tweet mostly dog stuff and yankee stuff so i apologize in advance for that um and you could follow me on twitter at mbergen95 b-e-r-g-i-n i mostly tweet about denmark and self-interested topics mike is actually a- an informative twitter person to follow i am not but follow both of us anyway mm-hmm. uh and also be sure to check out my review uh, of this movie hopefully will be going up Thursday or Friday depending on if I can finish it tonight with finals um, but the music is probably drowning me out now so thank you very much for listening and uh, may the force be with us all may the force be with you again and you.